0: Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: All companies are fighting against the general fear that we have in society, right? It established in institutions and, you know, whether it's our government institutions, our educational institutions, or even our financial or corporate institutions are losing trust and losing the faith of, of young people. And I think that they're looking to, you know, to brands to fill some of those gaps.
0: Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transform them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. As always, I have the pleasure of welcoming people to Good Company, with whom I've shared lots of Good Company, and nobody personifies that better than Nancy Dubuque. Nancy, thank you for joining me. Both happy to call you a very good friend and as well a partner, and it's a privilege to welcome you today amidst the hoopla to have a respite and just a conversation about all things we're dealing with. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Michael. I um, appreciate the very as well.
0: Nancy, you're at such an interesting point in both the trajectory of the world and in your own career. Now, two years in, I think, plus or minus to the role as of CEO of, of one of the most important media brands that exist, and that's Vice. And God knows, I talk about MediaLink sitting at a certain intersection. You've heard me say this before. I consider us at the intersection of you know, marketing, media, advertising, entertainment, and technology. I think you're at an intersection of culture and the conversation and bringing those cultures together at a time and place when truth matters and and reality matters. And God knows, I mean, you could have never dreamt that in this moment you'd be sitting at the intersection you're sitting at. How's it going? I mean,
1: yeah. uh, <laughs> I, mean I think like you said it. Best. Um, thank you, Michael. I, I, I think we realize this is a moment and we're, we're hard at work and spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, Vice Media Group as a brand and especially, you know, the Vice brand has never been one to reflect culture, but one to make culture, sort of how we look at it. And, you um, And if you think about the kinds of things that we've been covering, you know, the inequities, the injustices, the environment, the, you know, um, wealth disparity, corruption, all of it for you know, really for years, Um, the alt-right, you know, the list sort of goes on, Um, you know, we've been sort of prognosticating that this is coming (laughs) and sort of, you know, here it is. And, um, And I think it's a... It's a huge responsibility to, you know, to to represent not only and you know a wide number of employees who are young, but also um, you know the content that speaks to those audiences. And you and I both know it's you know young people that change the world, um, and you know each generation puts its own stamp on it and will market differently. Um, but there's no question that you know not only are we in a you know cultural revolution, an economic revolution, uh, um, you know a, a health and revolution, but you know we're clearly undergoing a massive generational shift right now.
0: For sure. I look at it through the lens of my kids, but more importantly now. As my grandkids get older, I'm looking at it through their lens. You know, all the questions that they ask really indicate where the world is going. You know, you know this from your own experience in cable and and television and content creation when you ran A&E and all the pieces pre-Vice. That demographic that Vice owns and you do is the demographic that everybody wants. It's the holy grail. And I'm thinking always through the lens of marketers and in terms of creating the narrative, but the challenge about that demographic is one that I've always said to people, you can't find them. They have to find you. If yeah. you find them, it's too late. When mom and dad show up on whatever platform du jour, you know that the kids are gone. You know, as we use this term in showbiz, vice has legs. It's had this demographic and it's maintained it. And I guess the, there is a question coming. Advertising is an important part of your revenue model. and The added challenge is as much as marketers want to be where the conversation is, some of them are afraid to be where the conversation is. And we're seeing that so boldly stated now, whether it's a boycott of Facebook on the one hand or, you know, the issues around brand safety and do not buy based on news and all the things that you deal with on a regular basis. I mean, how are the brands, and, you know, how are you addressing it? I,
1: I think you said it right. Like, you know, it is our, it is, it is the job of young people to push change and to push the boundaries, whether it's, you know, the advent of rock and roll and, and, and the masses freaking out over gyrating hips to, you know, to today, young people, you know, literally, declaring that maybe there should be no gender i mean like that's a huge huge shift in 70 years in 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 this country i'm gonna give you
0: one that's less than 70. so procter and gamble in 2000 opted out of a financing opportunity for the show dawson's creek (laughs) they thought it was too edgy dawson's creek wouldn't qualify for family channel now it's hardly edgy, but, you know, it plays right into it.
1: You know, part of the problem is that I think one of the things I'm the most proud of of our company is that, you know, 80 percent of our workforce is under the age of 40. And, you know, we're talking about a generation that's even younger right now, but 80 percent under 40 and we're 2,500 people is pretty significant. That is significant. And and, you know, 40 percent of the company um are non-white and so and and that doesn't even include you know the data that i can't gather in certain in certain um, territories outside of the united states and so when you think about you know young people want to see watch and hear people that look like them and part of the disconnect is you know on on madison avenue and in executive ranks at companies all over the world those people don't look like them and so I think what we do and can do for brands is to help them find their way in pushing those boundaries because they have to. It's If you're going to make an emotional connection to a consumer, which is what creates, you know, that loyalty that we all crave, you you have to talk their language. And I think one of the most fascinating things about, you know, young people today, and we've seen this for a long time, probably since really the you know social media boom is there there they have a very low bullshit meter you know excuse my french and 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 you can't you you can't bullshit them and so you better be clear about your purpose you better be you know clear about y- your intent and and what your your story is and and then you can't fake it like it, no. they oh. they pick it up really really quickly And that might make some people who look different and are different feel uncomfortable. But I think, you know, maybe that's the, and those people sometimes can be the decision makers, but the way I see it is like, maybe that's the magical moment we're in where we can start to really have these conversations um, because of this unprecedented year. I mean, there will be documentaries and books written about this year for the next five decades. And, and so What is our role in in helping people understand, you know, how young people are thinking and feeling and and what they see as as culture making and what they see as authentic versus what we see?
0: It's so interesting you say that because we've been talking about a couple of key words that describe this moment in business. And I'll try to be new age and say hashtag flexibility, hashtag uncertainty Mm -hmm. and hashtag authenticity. If you take those three words, that describes the moment we're in. This moment living through this will be what my grandparents talked about living through the pogroms in Russia or living through the depression. And that concept of a depression mentality that our parents had or grandparents had the pandemic mentality that this generation now has will change the course of human events.
1: One of the ironies about them too, and I think about this a lot, is that, you know, for the, look, one of the hashtags of the year have been, you know, hey boomer, you know. And, but the irony is that if you think about, you know, when boomers were coming of age in the late 60s, they were dealing with, you know, a war, a feminist revolution, a political upheaval, the, you know, the music scene, the drug scene, Woodstock, it's all the same attributes. It's all the same characteristics. And I think that, you know, looking, look, if we could jump 10 years ahead and look back, it'll be interesting to draw those parallels between the two. You're
0: so right. People have said to me, because I'm old, because I was in college in the 60s, Gee, what you've experienced things like this before. I said, actually not. Yeah. This is different.
1: This, this is collective. Is I think what's interesting about this is it's collective, regardless of your your race, you shared your pain. situation, your country, your your political beliefs. No matter all the different ways that you can draw lines that divide us, this is universal.
0: Nancy, let me go back to something we talked about a few moments ago, mm-hmm. and this year, particularly in your New Front presentation, and yours was unique and well received. But you put news at the forefront and again there's those in the market who say news is a touchy subject right now because the brands want to stay away from certain topics we can all understand why brands were making noise rightfully so a few years ago with google and now with facebook and others relative to brand safety and adjacency and yet Back to what you said. There's a famous quote from one of the great baseball players in the early days of baseball, Wee Willie Keller. They said, how'd you get on base so often? He said, I hit them where they ain't. In in this world, to reach the eyeballs, you got to hit them where they are. Well, they're yeah. with you and they're focused on news and they're focused on culture that you're bringing to the fore. Are the marketer's going along with it are they are they joining in you know i
1: i think they're starting to see the importance but de- most definitely but i think that you know part of the the authenticity that we just talked about um you know what makes something authentic is is also being you know is bravery right that the the honesty and the willingness to be brave is, is part of the same you know channel of attributes, I would say. And I think, you know, one of the frightening things is that um, we recently did a a survey um, in our Mad Chatter um, product with young people and 86% of of young people today believe that, you know, news is going to be in a worse place in five years than it is today. And, and that's a responsibility that we have to carry. And, you know, the reality is they also say that they're watching, you know, five times more news today than they were two years ago. So while consumption is going up, you know, what we're doing to it as a business is, is at risk. And I think that that's the very foundation of our democracy. And we have to ask those tough questions of, you know, freedom of the press and what, what journalists are designed to do truth to power you know do we really want to only have one source of information or two sources of information do we really only want to have two or three places to place your advertising i mean if you if you think ahead that's not what the foundation of this country has been built on i don't think it's 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 a i don't think it's our shared value no matter where whether you sit on the left or the right that you you want to be limited from your options of where you can get information and, and truthful and honest and journalistic and information and i believe you know so heartily that what is special about our news is it's in the field you know we are where it is happening and journalism begins in the field and this has been a long local, local. by local,
0: the way it's local, local as we and say. this has
1: been a long slow decade long you know trip of deteriorating newsrooms and the way that they cover what's happening to people that um, and I think to be able to be out in the way that we are and, you know, not just doing the hot takes of what's breaking, but really trying to give context and story to how this impacts the world is what young people are looking for. So let
0: me ask you another question, Nancy. I had this conversation with a friend of mine last night. We were talking about freedom of speech and we were talking about the press And I gave him a story, which is an example of people being afraid, and this is political, but being afraid to say something relative to the fear of the tweet that would come after they said it. And I liken that to a chilling effect on the First Amendment, not actually denying the First Amendment, but perception I've always found is worse than reality. And I'm curious how your playing that logic out in what you do. Uh, I
1: think part of the same conversation, though, is, right, the the, the the consolidated power in the hands of few is not good for the First Amendment. And so being an independent news organization is something that, you know, I think gives us the freedom to not fear. <laughs> um, and, and that's where that connects back to the authenticity, and it connects back to young people, you know, trace that to, okay, I trust this source because of those reasons. And I don't trust this source because of, you know, the other reasons. And I think when you, you know, you, I, I get the subtext of what you are saying, but, you know, we have an election process and, and I haven't, I, I think if anything, it's probably helped some organizations more than hurt. Um, And so I, I look to that. I think the more dangerous thing for us is, you know, the algorithms of the platforms that are designed to feed people extremes. And I think, you know, I just don't believe day in, day out as a country that we as individuals and as humans, you know, we are as extreme as that. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm not. No,
0: naive. I, I, I think you're right, but I think we're all struggling at that, at that moment, at that point. You know, how, how do I, do I, do I admire the problem? Do I, what do I do about it?
1: You it know, goes I, back to the currency and the economic demands, right? We're all under an enormous amount of pressure to grow, and so if, if growth is coming at the hands of, um, you know what something that's going to take a longer view to materialize, you know, from a business perspective, we all choose the quarter, not the year.
0: We all have to reimagine how we work. We all have to reimagine how we interact. We all have to reimagine how we connect the way we're doing business and the way we're interacting. How's it working for you advice again with 85% of your people under 40.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I I find that actually, you know, look, there's the, there was the beginning of this, right, where the accessibility of reaching people was amazing. <laughs> and so there was a, an upside to that. And there was a, um, a sense of community in, within the industry where we have to pull together and figure out how to help each other and how to get things done. And whether it's, you know, we've done a nine to five program where we work with a they present a problem with us at nine o'clock. We work till five o'clock to solve that problem and we feed it right back to the client. And that's been incredibly successful and, you know, resourceful, right? Because it's, it's giving the, the, the exchange a mission and, um, and a
0: time frame
1: and a time frame and the nimbleness and young you know, youthfulness of our company, you know, allows us to pull from everywhere all, all over the company, whether it's the journalists, whether it's the you know, virtue agency side, whether it's people on the studio side and really problem solve and troubleshoot for the client and turn that back around by the end of the day and be able to then sometimes execute those ideas within 48, 72 hours. And so I think that's the, the secret sauce of having the infrastructure that we have and having the creatives in house. You know, we don't have to then go find people. So that in itself, I think has, you know, that, that sort of effort of who's inside has prepared us or has made us a little bit more nimble in this moment you know the um you know the nike commercial that we saw we produced and you know that was all 40 percent done not out of archive but having to be very creative and entrepreneurial about how to shoot something and get something done vice news tonight is you know in krishna's living room now and And it's probably been a stronger show for it. And so to go back to one of your beginning points about flexibility, um, having a relatively young organization, you know, I'm not saying that there isn't fear, but, you know, there is a tremendous amount of flexibility that exists inside of our organization um, that I think has been able to allow us to help advertisers in unique ways.
0: One of the other things you pushed, and rightfully so, in the new front presentations was the challenge big tech is facing. What's your sense and what's your fear and what's your positivity on the challenge going forward in terms of kind of what you called, I think maybe even a threat to journalism of big tech, but but how, how, I mean, I I think,
1: you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to, you know, help the hyper local organizations with, you know, $100,000, $500,000 grants to keep, you know, local news in rural parts of the world or this country alive, it's a completely different thing to sustain, a, you know, a, a, a sort of a news organization at scale when you've got competing interests and fears from advertisers, you know, you have, you know, rev shares and algorithm challenges, you, you know, and I, I agree. Like, I think there's also an enormous amount of dynacism from these platforms in that I, I come from a, a closed, you know, closed garden cable universe where you could only exist inside of that. And, you know, but the flip side of that was that there was a an economic exchange that, you know, grew all the businesses and, Um, I don't believe that the economic exchange for the 380 million views a month that we're doing is worth the, you know, the dollars that we're getting.
0: So, Nancy, you know, you talk about your experience in the walled garden of cable, but you're in a little more entrepreneurial, a lot more entrepreneurial, you know, spirit now. You inherited some cultural challenges at Vice and and in two years, I know you've made enormous progress because I've experienced it firsthand. And again, having so many young people in your ranks, is the culture where you want it to be? And if you look at it on a continuum, have you made the progress you needed to make or identified the areas that are the challenges and
1: how yeah, would you describe it today? A hard, it's a hard question because the moment we're living in has disrupted every culture, Right. And so how I think about it is that cultures are fluid, constantly evolving, constantly moving things. But what you need to establish as the baseline is a um, an expectation of governance, you know, and that there's a code of conduct to work here. And this is that code of conduct. and um, And an environment where people feel included and people feel that they can share their views in a in a meeting or in a um you know within a team or on any level and that you know those views aren't always agreed with and they're not always followed or taken but that they can be shared safely um and that you know all voices and constituents are taken into consideration when thinking about how to portray the stories and the world that we do. And I think in that respect, from a, a governance and expectation standpoint of colleagueship, um, we've absolutely made tremendous progress and, and, and I would stand behind that. From a transparency standpoint is another, you know, governance, transparency would be the third pillar for me. Um, we, we published our first diversity equity and inclusion report at the end of last year, which is public on our corporate website. We'll be doing it again this year. And for as many years as I'm there, we'll be doing that. Um, we've, you know, pay equity. We, you know, we did that last year. We achieved that. And we'll be doing that every year Is one of those things that people don't realize that pay equity is an ongoing thing. It doesn't just,
0: it's not one and done.
1: It's not one and done. And it's very, very complicated. And so I think from a, a transparency and a governance standpoint, um, we've made you know huge progress. And trust is is earned, you know, not given, and that takes time. Um, the almost the entire leadership team has evolved and, and transformed under me. Um, at the very beginning of the pandemic lockdown, actually, we announced the hiring of Daisy Auger Dominguez, and you know, as our chief people officer. And um, you know, before all of this moment that we're living in had even sort of come to be at the center of attention. I, you know, wanted, I didn't want a diversity and inclusion department. I wanted that to be HR and, you know, Daisy is a a specialist in this area and that if we're going to reflect the world that these young people, you know, live in and culturally believe in and hold the values of then we have to walk that talk too. And so how do we become one of the most progressive workplaces there is not just in media, but in the country or the world for that matter. And so I think it's, it requires a commitment at the top. You know, It requires um, leaders to talk about it in every meeting. It requires um, difficult conversations and, and the willingness to take it in and listen and not necessarily do something with it right away. Um, that people want to be heard I feel like our employees know that they can they know who to go to and maybe they didn't know who to go to before That's um, critical, and that's critical whether it's come right to me or whether it's go to HR or go to legal or go to the anonymous hotline or um, there's an air of more open door that is um, it's happening and you know all companies are fighting against the general fear that we have in society right it that you know, established institutions, and you know whether it's our government institutions, our educational institutions, or even our financial or corporate institutions are, you know, losing trust and losing the faith of of young people, and I think that they're looking to you know to brands to fill some of those gaps, and you know that puts a lot of CEOs and a lot of leaders in a pretty weird position to Absolutely. be answering questions that we never thought we would have to answer.
0: I think you nailed it because right now people need that that warm, safe spot. They need to go talk about the challenges. You know, we're not only talking about the obvious challenges, we're talking about the fears that people have right now yeah. and, and, and the uncertainty back to that word. So it's okay. it's so important to bring that to bear in corporate America, in the world, not just corporate America, in business and in, in human interaction. Nancy, there are so many other things you and I could talk about. I want to thank you because, you know, you are in that interesting position w- with a lot of spotlight on on you. I'm honored you spent the time and I appreciate uh, you sharing your insights and and some of the realities of the marketplace that you're in today. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you, oh,
0: even if personally. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich.